Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly, and as always, I'm joined by Oshin Collins to discuss this weekend's rugby. Hey, Park, and welcome everybody else. Uh, how was your weekend? It's uh, it was a good weekend. Just stayed at home in Connemara the whole time. Nothing fancy, nothing fun. How about you? Mostly plugged into the rugby all weekend, and then took a brief gig to go to Taylor Swift last night, which was exceptional. We'll start this week with the news, then we'll move on to some chat about the under-20s, and then it's time to talk Test 2 in the Australia v Ireland Summer Series. That's it, looking forward to that one. And uh, we also discuss the weekends of the Test Games and pick our second row top performer and clown of the round. But first, some news and some sad news out of Galway this week. Yeah, last week, one of the founding members of the Connacht clan, a true Connacht fan, my manager for the couple of seasons I played rugby with Galway agents, passed away late, that's uh, Leighton Turner. And just like to offer my sincere condolences to his family and friends. Yeah, mine too. If we, uh, if podcast did minute silences, this would be the time. Definitely. Uh, really sad stuff. And I think Connacht has been kind of in mourning all week. Yeah, I was up at the um, funeral and literally the amount of Connacht jerseys and people just knew him they're up there was just phenomenal. And uh, I suppose to counter that, a bit of good news or what looks like possibly good news for Ulster in that Danny Wilson has controversially uh, dropped his incoming appointment next season for Wasps and he looks like he's taking up the forwards job with Scotland, which is the job that Ulster's incoming head coach, Dan McFarland, currently has. I would like to throw it back to the podcast when I heard that news first, that Dan McFarland was going to Scotland going, of course there was going to be someone to replace him. They're never going to let him be there uh, for the year. They're never, ever going to be in a position where they weren't going to full years prep with their forwards coach. This is it. The other big question I have from this week is, uh, and this will be coming up in table quizzes for years to come, what is a king hit? I'm pretty sure it's something Cheka thinks is a thing, but really isn't a thing. But you can't, you can't just make up fake names for tackles. Like, oh, he's done it with a prince tip. Like, Keen Healy bumped Wilgenia off the ball. Wilgenia fell awkwardly. Really disappointing from his perspective. But, you, like, stick to the English language or any variant of it, Checks. I think Johnny Sexton got more attention of all the Aussie players for the full match anyway. Yeah, I think both the Irish halfbacks did. And Tenta. Like, I mean, if you're running through on a charge line, like, you'll get the odd shove. The only other bit of news this week, I reckon Ben Youngs must be an absolute scream at speed dating. I talk about making a bad first impression. <laughs> or just a really or just a really bad date in general, twenty seconds and he's done. <coughs> yep, that would do it. <laughs> oh man. Um moving swiftly along. Um, the Irish twenties managed to play the get out of jail free card this week. Uh, put themselves in a really, really um precarious position by losing quite heavily in the end to Scotland um, in the 11th place playoff, 13th place playoff. It was the 11th place semi-final, if you want to yeah. be pedantic about it. But yeah. I do not. <laughs> I was uh, like, I was keeping half nine at work and like I started the better. Like we were the better team to begin with and I don't know what happened. They just faded so fast. Well, what, watching the expressions on their faces... It just seemed like everything they were trying wasn't working and nobody on the pitch seemed to be able to do anything about it. I, I tell you, the scary thing about that is it shows a real lack of morale. Like You can tell this is a team that hasn't won a game at this point in this competition and their heads were so down. To be put into the relegation playoff against Japan, like I was afraid, like genuinely afraid, given how they've been playing for the tournament. Well, particularly given that Japan nearly beat Georgia in the other semi-final. So either way, we were either going to have to play Georgia again, who'd beaten us in our last pool game, or a Japanese side that ran them close and have been improving year on year. But 
this is all or nothing at this point. You have to finish second last in the tournament and narrowly avoid getting knocked out of the Tier 1 Rugby World Cup at under 20 level, or you have to finish last. Those are the only options at this point. It was a straight knockout. And they clung on to the victory this morning. I was there watching it, and you know, with a few minutes to go, Japan needed a try. I was like, they could easily, easily get a try here. Well, that's after the Irish team threw away a 31 point to 12 lead. Like, how do you how yeah. do you throw away a lead that significant, like a 19 point lead, a three score lead? Well, like you have to remember that the defense coach wasn't there. Tom Tierney, the former women's coach, was relieved of his duties pre-tournament. I mean, given Tom Tierney's impact on the women's team, I don't necessarily think that's any major loss. Is it better to have a bad defence coach than no defence coach at all? No, ask England. <laughs> <laughs> but no, literally, they're just falling off tackles. Like I think the best defensive set was that last four minutes when they were defending for dear life. Well, literally for their future in this tournament. And I think the funny thing with the 20s is because there's a World Cup every year or a World Championship every year because of that turnover rate of players, like we'll see what happens now. Like there's some extremely strong players in the Irish school setup. But I think an injection of confidence and an injection of talent is badly needed in this site. The next group from the 20s or even the group after that needs the next Larmer, needs the next James Ryan, needs the next kind of beacon of Irish hope to come from somewhere and just drive the team forward a bit. Yeah, and for a lot of these players, they'll get another shot next year. You know, new players coming in, people with tournament experience. And I guess in terms of what's next for them, it's back into pre-season for a lot of them with their respective clubs and academies and try and break into Pro 14 sides and get some game time. You know, there are a few players that you kind of say they will kind of make an impact at Pro 14 level. Like for me, Doris was incredible. Mm. I think he literally dragged that Irish team to the win today. Yeah, he looks like a really talented bloke and not a lot of players enhance their reputations at this tournament, but he certainly came out with with a kind of a gold star one to watch next to his name. Yeah, exactly. Like I think uh Harry Byrne, the younger uh Ross Byrne's younger <laughs> Byrne brother the younger. <laughs> could um is another player to keep an eye on. He didn't have a great tournament, but he was a better player of the bunch and possibly some of the backs and some of the Ulster backs especially, but in all fairness, I don't think anyone really covered themselves in glory. Yeah, I mean, possibly Stuart. I think there's a bit of movement at Scrum Half up in Ulster. Uh, possibly Tommy O'Brien. Uh, possibly Sylvester, uh, who's a kind of fullback come centre. But uh, again, it'll be about whether those players can now kick on to the next level because they need to be a lot better than what they showed in this tournament. Exactly. So on to the main event. Australia v Ireland, Test 2, uh, kicking off this week in the Amy Stadium in Melbourne. Yeah, it was an incredible game and... It was the first win for an Irish men's team in Australia for 37 years. Oh, did the women win more recently? No, they just weren't allowed to play there. <laughs> <laughs> they might have otherwise. They won last week. <laughs> exactly. But then again, I don't think the Irish team have played in Australia like in 10, 12 years. But, you know, still. Hey, it still counts. No, it's a good performance. I mean, what I'm starting to learn is that those winning Irish performances are kind of nail biters a lot of the time. Like, it's it's like watching Munster playing back in the, the late noughties. They really like to keep the fans on the edge of the seat. I'm just going to say this, dear Joe. I don't mind winning by 50 points. Like I, I'll, I'll gladly take a 60-point win and be happy by 20 minutes into a game. I don't need to be gripping onto my chair for dear life. Yeah, we are, five we are impressed that you know exactly what just enough looks like. Now, please immediately stop it. But <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, let's be perfectly honest, what a terrible start. Like It is literally the worst possible start we could have had to that game with Bale going over. Well, I was really worried because it looked like bad communication. Like You could see Dan Levy drifting... Uh, and Johnny Sexton outside him and I'm expecting Sexton at that point to spot the cutback 
because that's where his eyes are supposed to be and push Levy back inside. And given that those are two players who came into the side, started, who weren't there last week, I was starting to worry already, you know, how much training have the guys done? What's their alignment going to be like? Are we going to see these type of gaps all through the game? But the response was exactly what we needed. Like, beautiful set-piece try that Conway finished off nicely. That came off a yellow card, and we got 13 points in that yellow card period. You know, that is so important. Soft enough yellow, I thought. The tip tackle. Yeah. Like, definitely a penalty, but I'm, I, it looked soft to me. Uh, I think the second it goes over the horizontal, if he tries to bring him back up, it's a penalty. He just carries on through and he hits his shoulder yeah. first. Which was mad, because he'd already completed the tackle. Like, he was stopped. But that's, most tip tackles are like that. They just kind of lose a run of themselves. Yeah. Well, either way, you know, as you said, Ireland exploited it really well. You know, just showed that game management, which was superb yeah with a revolving door at 10 like we had Johnny Sexton playing obviously at fly half but every other phase is either likes of Ringrose coming in a first receiver you had Carney coming in as first receiver a couple of times as well which I've never seen the thing is and I think actually Joe likes a good distributor at 15 because when Payne was playing at 15 I think we tore teams apart by having a real genuine distribution option there that could come in and just split defences. Well, he would have done that at Leinster even when Nasiwa was playing full back to uh, to Johnny Sexton. Exactly. And then suddenly you have two pivots and two centres who can cause havoc. And what's the defence going to do? Yeah, well, I suppose what the defence tried to do was, was quite similar to last week. But the big difference from Ireland's game in terms of selection was our roster of heavy carriers was so much deeper. Like we were able to take phase after phase after phase. And that meant that Australia weren't finding us isolated out wide half as often. And I think we learned as well, like when the ball did go wide, we were cutting back in to support a lot quicker than last week instead of trying to go down for those breaks. Yeah, well, I mean, part of that, I think, was when Robbie Henshaw is one of your heavy carriers, which he is, because obviously he's a big bulky guy, starting him at 13 meant that when he was getting the ball and taking it into contact, like I was getting so frustrated watching Henshaw carry the ball last week because he kept getting isolated. But if he's going to get the ball out at second centre, he's much more at risk. I mean... He didn't really cover himself in glory this week either. And if I'm honest, I'm expecting to see Bondiaki coming in for the third test. But, you know, at least he wasn't far enough away from the point of Rook that we weren't able to get protection to him. Yeah, no, it wasn't his best game in any jersey for a very long time. No, I thought our kicking game was a lot tighter. Like Johnny Sexton's kicking out of hand was pretty average, but Murray's box kicking was a lot more effective. Yeah, and we like, you know, didn't kick to Falau. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or to or to Dane Hedapetti most of the time, or at least they were far better kicks to him. Which is really important with you got guys who can actually take the ball in the air like that. We are turning them. If the ball went deep, they had to go back for it or they're going into touch. And the up and unders from Murray were really contestable in nice congested areas where even if you got a good leap of a ball, it's actually more dangerous for you to jump over five people. Well, equally, if you look at the back three that we had for most of the game last week of Larmore, Stockdale and Kearney versus Kearney, Conway and Earls for this game, like that is a significantly better back three in terms of that kick and chase game. Like Conway is one of the best in the game at kick receipts. And Earls, like Earls defensively, by the way, was a rock. Like him and Ringrose just seem to be so in tune with one another. I'll always kind of go in my head, go, well, you know, the 13 does a lot of that work for the wing. That's just me, how they read. And I think there must be a better understanding there between Ringrose and Earls. Well, I think Ringrose has played a lot more at 13 as well. I mean, he wasn't being played essentially out of position. Yeah, and like we, we talked about last week, and like I was keeping an eye on it, and he was just breaking the line and shutting down those 
quick outside passes really quickly. He knew when to drift. He knew when to shoot. Well, his decision-making was just so vastly improved on Henshaw's last week. In the defensive sense, you want the better decision-maker at 13. Absolutely. Um, I think Sexton is an interesting factor, though, because he didn't necessarily have his best game. But I do think that when he's playing, you see the standards of the rest of the players, backline particularly, just lift. And whether that's... There's an element of that, I think, is organisational. Like, he is nearly a coach on the pitch at that level and he's trusted to do that by Joe but I also think there's an element of that kind of talismanic leader figure like with Paul O'Connell that when you're playing with that guy you don't want to let him down you don't want to let the team down I would suggest to everyone to just watch Johnny Sexton for a full match don't watch anything else just watch Johnny he's pointing he's shouting He's just driving everything defensively, offensively all the time. Mm. And he sets such a high standard continuously that people around him just have to raise to that level. I think that's why him and Connor Murray as a pair are the best halfback unit in the game. Yeah, they do work really well together and there's a real good trust there of what each other can do. What was nice as well was even though we went down to a yellow card and I will never figure out how Bernard Foley didn't get a yellow a couple of minutes previously... Like, is there any team better at the moment than Ireland at managing being a player down, at managing that yellow card period? We were down to 14 players for 20 minutes of that game. Yeah. We conceded seven points. Yeah, plus the penalty try, which was seven points, which was basically from the yellow card as well. But the average in games is about 14 points conceded per yellow card, and we managed to keep it to half of that, which is really impressive, and it shows a great degree of control in the game. On a personal basis, I don't like a yellow card and a penalty try in that type of scenario. It just feels like double punishment, but um, just our management of the game was so effective. Yeah, for me, like especially that kind of mall situation, you bin the player if he's caused something, and then the next mall, if it does the exact same thing, you go under the post. Yeah, or you go under the post and it's a team warning and the next foul. But like two in the same incident just feels a bit much. Definitely. And like if you look at the stats, we had 60% possession and we just controlled the ball so much better. And, you know, it's one of those things where you take the knees, you take all those little breaths. It's it's small gamesmanship things we're doing really well. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, McGrath must have been kicking himself, going, they got away with this last week. <laughs> so we're not allowed to do that. Okay, my bad. Yeah, the consistency from week to week, uh, Jesus inside the game itself was unreal. Yeah, there was a couple of howlers, all right. I mean, I think the, the penalty count was 15 to 12 to Australia, so I'm amazed that there wasn't a team penalty. Like, they just seemed to get warning after warning after warning. Um, it was it was a bit of a strange one. But do you know what? Look, what I think was nice was the Irish team, relative to last week where we seemed to lose the head and not to be able to respond within the game, we actually read the referee, we managed it, and we dealt with what was being put in front of us. It wasn't always the result that we wanted or the, the decision that we wanted, but we were able to work around that and deal with the interpretation of the ref. Yeah, it was definitely a lot more intelligent display from us this week, and I think that is really encouraging going forward. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about some of the strengths. Like our front row was immense. Like Niall Scannell doesn't look like a player with only a handful of caps. He locked out that scrum superbly. And the lineup was good as well, you know, and um, we've, we now know what Joe wants in his hooker. It's impeccable set piece. And if you if you give that on a consistent basis, like that, that for me was a real coming of age performance for Scannell. But equally, he hasn't started that many games with Kean Healy and Tyg Furlong. And as a unit, they were so impressive. Like, Furlong is, is 
going to get banned from the front row union. He's just scary. He's redefining what it is to be a tight end or to be a prop, to be a front row player. He he has a 15, like what, a 15 meter break, then tries a ba- loopy basketball pass. That's just wrong. That's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Well, he tried a spin pass that like an outside centre would have been proud of. He Actually, what he reminds me of is the way that Dane Coles for New Zealand redefined the hooker position. Like he is as transformational, he's as novel in his approach to the game at tight head. It's actually more impressive given the other pressures on a tight head. Well, considering what a strong scrummager he is, what a strong ball carrier he is. And I mean, he's not a he's not a, a half bad line out lifter as well. There's not a whole lot he can't do. Like I think he walks in a tight head in pretty much every team in the world. He is easily the best tight head in world rugby at the moment. But like we ha- we have we are littered with players that would walk into most teams at the moment. You know, Ringrose would walk into most teams. O'Mahony, incredible game, would walk into most teams. Maury Sexton walks into most teams. Absolutely. And I mean, look, the intensity was up. The aggression was up. We were not just competing at the breakdown. We were dominating the breakdown. And against the exact same Australian pack that we weren't able to beat last week. A lot of it for me, if you look at the technique of the clearouts, even though uh, Hooper and Pocock were in really good positions over the ball, if you hit hard enough in the right position, I don't care how good latched on they are, they're getting blown away and rolled out of it. Yeah, what you saw was there was some kind of nice skill stuff. So whether players are getting kind of crocodile rolled off to the side of a ruck. Part of the problem with Pocock is he's so quick that if you roll him off to the side, half the time he takes the ball with him and it's a turnover. But some of the just the raw physicality, like there was one particular phase of play where I think Tyke Furlong hit David Pocock with maybe a 10 meter run up. And like, I think he had to release the ball because otherwise his arms were going to get ripped out of their sockets. It was such an impressive clear out. It, but it just showed how important he is to how Arden play. Like, that was in the second half. That's when he should be fading, and he's doing stuff like that. It's unreal. Well, the, the thing is, what we're demonstrating is how hard a team Ireland are to beat when we play well and when we get a grip of a team. Like, we are properly number two in the world at the moment. And we are, without a doubt, at a point where if a team is going to beat Ireland, they need to be at their best or ne- very, very near to it to beat us. Which is the type of stuff we normally only say about the All Blacks. So, you know, nice company to be in. Exactly. And I like. I think a special shout-out from the match needs to be for Devin Toner. Like, he is an unsung hero, but the shift he put in was incredible. Particularly given that he's not necessarily the first name on the team sheet for a lot of people. I, I personally think that over the course of a World Cup, the likes of Ian Henderson and the likes of Ty Byrne may offer more. But you can't deny... The, the level of work put in, the rooks he hit, the the carries that he did, and like the highlight moment, that um, that takeoff or restart where he leapt across the pitch and caught it over his head, which must have been at like, what, 17 or 18 feet up in the air? It was just outstanding. Like the athleticism of the guy is is really impressive. Israel Flau would be proud of that one. Speaking of things we don't like, some of the weaknesses from the game. Our discipline was poor. Like two yellow cards, Joe Schmidt will be fuming yeah i think particularly the jack mcgraw one was just so stupid um and, and unnecessary like we were fanned out we were defending well it's just a dummy penalty to give away you know it's small moments and i think against a team playing better than australia around the day that costs us more the other one for me is that we still don't convert enough chances like when we get into the 22 we need to leave with points and i just feel like there's still a degree of inaccuracy that we're not capitalizing on all of those opportunities and the thing is you wouldn't mind if we were 
creating really clear cut chances and getting pushed over the sideline or getting held up over the line. But like you said, it's that inaccuracy. It's the breakdown not being correct. It's small little knock-ons. It's getting turned over. That's the issue. It, like, I wouldn't mind if we scored only two tries, but we crossed the whitewash ten times but got held up the other eight. You know, that means we're, we're doing the right things and we're just being unlucky. It's The rest of it is just really bad inaccuracy. Which I think when you come up against teams in tight games, you need to know that you're going to be able to take points every time you get into the opposition's 22, and we're just not quite there yet. No. I, I think we're going to be there, but it's just it's another bit not a bit more work to be done yeah and I mean I think that's something that Joe will be looking for Ireland to do next week is just to make sure that we're even more clinical that we take all of our chances um, anything else going to happen next week or are we expecting broadly the same outline I'd say I expect the same broad outline but for me what needs to happen next week is Murray to not start if we go to another World Cup with no other scrum half getting good game time inside Johnny Sexton I think we're in trouble it's definitely not going to happen though can you honestly see anybody other than Murray and Sexton starting the third test? No, and that's the problem. If we're in a World Cup quarterfinal and Murray gets injured, I can tell you right now, people will be thinking the sky is going to fall because we haven't seen anyone be there with Johnny Sexton. Yeah, uh, part of it though, you look at certain teams and they are reliant on key players in key positions. Um, it's it's almost like Joe has just accepted, you know what, Connor Murray is that important to how we play. If he's injured, we're toast, <laughs> which which is an interesting admission. Yeah, I get that. But, you know, he started Carberry, who has had more starts at 15 in his professional career than at 10 last week. Mm. You know, he understands it's an issue at halfback. He's just not doing enough overall to fix it. Well, what I think may happen, depending on how the game starts next week, is that, you know, we see John Cooney from maybe 15 minutes on. But I, I don't see any situation where Joe doesn't pick him to start. I really hope that... Connor Murray starts. I worry for our chances if he doesn't. Well, no, don't get me wrong. You know, he is the better scrum half there. But if this tour is about World Cup planning, someone else has to start there or get at least a good 30 to 40 minutes with Johnny Sexton. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, what are Australia going to be doing differently? Obviously, there's going to be some changes in force through injury. Who are they going to pick now? Guinea is gone. The Your two options within the squad already is Nick Phipps, who came on as a scrum half in the game and who is dreadful. Or Joe Powell, who's the Brumby scrum half, who's been okay this year. They might even call up Jake Gordon, who has been pushing Nick Phipps pretty close for the Waratahs. But but either way, they're basically going into this without a world-class nine. And Bernard Foley, who is prone to the odd, you know, brain meltdown at 10. So there's a big risk there. And I don't think Kirtley Beale is going to be fit either. No, I don't think Beale's going to be fit either, but I think they have a, like, I, I do know replacing him is going to be an issue, but if Foley manages a game like he did, like that again, like, just give us the win, please, Australia now. That, that mm. tap and go and give the ball to the turnover expert, the breakdown expert, and then O'Mahony goes, thank you. I'll take that turnover. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. So, yeah. So they'll be missing Beale and, Midfield now is a big call. Do you think they're going to go with Reese Hodge at 12 and keep that dual pivot role going? Or what do you think is going to happen there? So Australia like playing with two ball runners. And I think having that ability to put in a different person at first receiver and then get Bernard Foley working out wider was what was so effective for them in the first test. But I don't know that they trust Reese Hodge yet to do that. The other thing you've seen them do a couple of times is that they could bring in Tavita Kuradrani, play him at 13 and pull Samu Karevi into 12. 
Like that's a midfield that's played for Australia before, but it, it completely changes how you play the game. Like Australia go from being a side that want to get the ball wide, that want to use their wings and their fullback to being a much tighter, nearly like 10 or 12 man side, which would be really interesting because it looks like we've kind of got their wide, wide game a little bit figured out. Yeah. And if it gets into an arm wrestle, it will be a really interesting game to watch. It's not a game I want to watch. My heart couldn't take it. Well, I mean, it might be the only way that Australia are going to throw Joe's tactical nous off for this game. I, I think the Australians will be hoping, as you said, that Ireland consider this World Cup prep. We see a little bit more rotation. We see some of the more fringe players, like does Sean Cronin get his start at hooker now because the other two lads have had one? Do we see the likes of um, Jacob Stockdale, Jordan Larmore getting a start? Do we see something mad like John Cooney and Joey Carberry at 9 and 10? Like, God, I hope not because I really want to win this series, but we'll see. I think we could see a back three off. Like, this is complete pulling names out of the air stuff here because it's Joe, but Larmer at fullback with Stockdale and Earls on either side. Bundy at 12 inside Ringrows. Definitely starting Sexton, a different nine. And I'd say relatively the same pack, maybe Byrne starting alongside Ryan or Henderson. Could be really interesting. But, like, it's you're talking pulling names out of the air, you know. Yeah. Well, look, a couple of other matches over the weekend to chat through. Uh, New Zealand France, I guess first up on Saturday morning. Comfortable enough win for New Zealand in what a pretty poor game in the end. I know another red for France. Like seriously, I don't think they can have complaints about this one though. I mean, they may have put their training camp for this tour on an Indian burial ground though. You can't argue against the red. What happened happened. Do I like the law? I don't know, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, and I, I, there there is obviously a duty to protect players. And you know what? It, it kind of was over as a contest at that point. It was 15 against 14. But, but equally, New Zealand were so disrupted by having Damian McKenzie on at 10 because his game management skills are atrocious. He's a brilliant broken runner. He may be the best broken field runner in the game, but his game management skills are just you know, missing in action. Like, if you're playing a, a team that are down to 14 men, you just pin them back in their own half. Just don't let them feel like there's any hope whatsoever. And he never did that. No. And put the ball wide if you need to. Like, look for space. But to credit France, they really put it up to New Zealand. Like, they were very physical in defence. They didn't end the game as a contest. It just was never going to be their day after that. They had two tries disallowed. You know, that went up to the TMO. They were that close to scoring points. So... Yes, they lost, but I think they can take a lot away from the game. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think New Zealand will be, you know, resting on their laurels too much. They'll come out, and I am hopeful of seeing a decent game with 15 on 15 for the duration and actually watching these two giants of the sport go at it. Yeah, and like especially when you see today that France have won the Under-20s World Cup. Their national team looks like it's going to be in really good health into the future. And yeah. all going well, there's going to be some really good top level teams again in the future the other big test then South Africa uh, wrapping up the series against England 23-12 I didn't see the game and people just keeping me updated on the score and like England were 12 nil up in my head I was like I bet you right now Eddie Jones is like Otto from the Simpsons okay okay guys don't choke pressure's on don't choke don't choke don't choke oh man I knew I was gonna choke I can't believe that after England go two tries up they then don't score for the rest of the game this is just such a disappointing performance and this isn't a bad England team on paper it's not like it's wildly experimental it's got tons more experience than the team that went down and hammered Argentina like, what is Razzie feeding these guys I have no idea but whatever he's selling the South African team are buying 
Yeah, it's it's phenomenal, and there's a lot of youth coming through that South African team. There's a real sense of hope. Um, I saw the first half and then caught some of the highlights in the second. This is just a really, really interesting time to be a South African rugby fan. And what'll be really nice is watching the Pro 14 next year, seeing how the Cheetahs and the Southern Kings react to, I guess, this uplift in South African rugby. It could be really, really good. Especially as the Kings are now out of receivership. So they're, they should be on the up as a club anyway. From England's perspective, though, this is a really disappointing tour. If I'm looking at that third test, I'm thinking there's no point in me picking a top side and going to try and win it. I'd actually be experimenting. I'd be trying some new combinations, looking at maybe Spencer at scrum half. Let's see what the, the guys who were brought out there as part of the squad can do. They, they just need to get something out of this tour. It's not going to be a series win. So let's see what a few players are made of. Oh, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean, but they are now on effectively a losing streak but they're also they're also only ranked sixth in the world <laughs> if you ever want proof that stats lie england have a 76 percent win rate under eddie jones but have lost the last six or seven on the bounce yeah he didn't sound particularly i mean i think the interviewer was trying to was trying to get some sort of an explosive reaction out of him but you could just tell that he was fuming underneath it is he one of those coaches that you see in soccer that gets a team going for two seasons and then like loses it. I mean, it's starting to look that way, but look, let's let's see what they bring out next week. Yeah, exactly. Next game up, Argentina Wales, and Wales wrap up a two nil win in that series with uh, again a fairly comfortable thirty points to twelve win. And Argentina have lost their head coach now as well. Yeah, like he was coming out with all sorts saying he just they're too tired, he can't get them up for it. You know, like if that's the stuff he's coming out with in interviews, I think he's better off for the team and going forward him not to be there yeah the timing couldn't be worse though like they've got a game against scotland next week and then they've got the rugby championship coming right around the corner like this is not ideal preparation definitely not and it wasn't the most controversial thing to happen in that game no we had wrestlemania going on in the middle of the pitch yeah i know moriarty with a chokehold on an argentinian player I'm pretty sure if you listen to the commentary really careful, you can actually hear the commentators from WWE going, Back out! Back out! He can't breathe, King! He can't breathe! Yeah, it's mental. When's the last time you saw a rugby match descend from scuffles or handbags into attempted manslaughter? I actually don't know, and I really do hope for the sake of the game that he gets a, he faces a lengthy enough ban. I think they'll pretty much throw the book at him. No one wants to see that in the sport. It's just unnecessary. Like Ross Moriarty is one of those enforcer type characters. Like he's there to be, you know, a horrible, difficult opponent to play against. But there is a line and he crossed it. Definitely. And tell you what else got over the line. USA. 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 Fair play to them. Their first ever win against Tier 1 opposition. Nearly wasn't to be, though. Scotland managed to to, to fluff the kick at the last minute. Yeah, imagine getting a try at the last second and only for to miss a kick. That's unreal. And kind of embarrassing. It is. And you look at the team that Scotland picked. You look at the squad they've sent to tour this summer. Have they given enough respect to teams like Canada, the USA and Argentina? I know this might sound funny, but maybe they're just kind of going all right, we need to build depth and they're willing to take the hit on a loss or a few bad performances to kind of get people used to playing international rugby and playing at a higher standard. It's certainly possible. And I think if it builds into what Townsend is trying to do in Scotland overall, more power to him. Uh, A real upset though. Definitely not the result anyone was expecting. No, definitely. And you kind of want your second string to be beating USA. Absolutely. So that's it for the weekend's rugby. And as always, it's time for the second row top performer and clown the round and you have picked our top performer 
Yeah, so after last week where we gave top performer to, you know, one of Australia's double open sides, David Pocock, this week I couldn't look any further than Peter O'Mahony. Like, for a player who probably if he'd been on social media during the week, there was cause to drop him, that he had no place in the Ireland setup, that he's never going to be a guaranteed pick for Ireland. Just how wrong he proved absolutely every one of his critics. This guy is extraordinary as a talent, as a leader. He was distributing the ball. I think he had six passes, which is the most of any forward. He won three turnovers on an individual basis. His ruck work was outstanding. He was carrying the ball into contact. And that's without looking at his specialty that he brings to the game, which is his disruption at the line-out and the clean takes that he gives you. There is just no question for me, Peter O'Mahony is the next Ireland captain, potentially the Ireland captain at the World Cup, and a guaranteed starter. Like I was reading on um, Three Red Kings, he's started every game that he's been fit for against top-tier opposition for Ireland since 2016. Like Joe Schmidt doesn't miss detail. And Peter Romani is a top class player. He is this week's top performer. No question. And I love him. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, but like, on top of everything you have just said, his complete and utter disregard for his own safety is unreal. He's phenomenal. It's like someone when he was learning how to, how to be a jumper in the line out. It's like someone said, and then we just throw them up in the air. And Romani was like, you throw me up. Well, I mean lift. You said throw, throw me. Just do it. He's just mad. And I guess, Porik, you have to pick our clown of the round this weekend. Have you managed to find someone from one of the matches? I haven't found one player. I found a group of them. Or more so, okay. Scotland as a team. Oh, for the USA loss? Well, actually, not for the USA loss on its own. It's more their consistent inconsistency. Like, if you look back over their, the last 12 months, they're taking big scalps and then just brain farting through another game and losing. They could genuinely be, if they targeted every match they'd been in properly, being a top four team right now. Yeah, they are contenders, but they just, they can't put together a string of results. You know, that's something that they need to work on. And I'm guessing that's what this tour is about, to be honest. But that inconsistency for me is our clown around. That's fair. Hopefully they can go out and exercise some demons and uh, beat Argentina next week. Well, if they don't beat Argentina with no manager... It's not much hope, is there? Exactly. Now, that's us for this week. We'll be back next week to recap the final round of this year's June International Series, and we may even be joined by our friends from down under on the Rugby Report card. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash the second row, or on Twitter, we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. Remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, and generally spread the word. So until next time, goodbye, and thank you for listening. Take care, guys.